Hey, it's wonderful to be uh, with you guys this morning. Normally, me and Hannah are over in Alcoos AM, so it's wonderful to see kind of the wider Well of Life family. It's always a, a treat. Just to um, give you a little bit of introduction as to who I am, probably three of the most important things. Um, I'm deadly afraid of slugs. Uh, I love lemon sherbet. And on my first day of school, I once heard a bird poop in my mouth. So now you pretty much know everything that you need to know about me. Hopefully afterwards, I can get to know the important things about you. I mean, I'm sure there's a few other things I could share about you know, my beautiful wife, being married, moving to Dubai, what God is doing. But at least those are the important things. So I want to ask a very simple question this morning. Are you free? Now, at first sounds that or first hearing, it may sound like a really simple question. Well, of course I'm free. I'm not in prison. I'm fairly um, unrestricted in my movements. I can pretty much do what I want to do. But when we start to really peel back the surface, when we start to really explore what freedom truly means, particularly freedom in Christ, then the answer we can often come up with is, actually, I'm not. Actually, I've ended up taking back a yoke of slavery. Actually, I've ended up returning from the very thing that Christ broke off me when I first came to him. And so it's this question of freedom that I want to explore. And we're going to be exploring it looking at the book of Galatians. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I just want us to really look at these six verses and really kind of wrestle with them and sort of pull them apart to try and see what Paul is encouraging this church in Galatia to do. Just to give you um, a little bit of context, uh, the church in Galatia, uh, Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor, pretty much uh, modern-day Turkey, and it was one of those places that was sort of constantly being invaded by different groups of people. So it had a very strong Celtic tradition, it had the girls come in at different points, and so as a result, it was a very multi-ethnic community. And so the church would have represented that as well. There was no one dominant ethnicity, there was no one dominant ideology, except for they were kind of held together as this kind of Roman uh, this Roman colony. And so Paul, in his travels, he ends up there, and he sets up a church, and he's, he's founding it, and he shares the gospel with them. And so then the letter of, that he was writing to the church of Galatians is a few months, maybe even a few years after that, and he started to realize that there are some problems going on in the church, that there are some critical issues that he needs to address. So, so I'm going to start reading at verse 1. So chapter 5. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no value at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
Paul is really concerned about what's happening in the church of Galatia. This group of what later gets known as Judaizers have crept into the community. And they've started um, spreading all these false teachings, these false doctrines, creeping in and changing the things that they believe. We read in Galatians 1, 6-7, Paul saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. This was serious business for Paul. This group were changing the very foundation of their faith. And so Paul knew that in haste, that he needed to immediately address and correct this situation. The problem that they were having was a problem of freedom, a problem of grace. They were trying to add to the freedom that Christ had given them. They were trying to nullify the grace that came with accepting Jesus. And so we see that declaration in chapter 5, verse 1. Christ, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What I love about Paul, and particularly in this letter to Galatians, is that he's not sloppy in his language. You can tell that he's writing this letter angry. He's writing this letter passionately. He's wanting every single word, every single sentence to count. He has no time to waste. So it is for, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But what is that freedom? And I think this is the kind of the crux of what we want to wrestle through today is, what does that freedom look like? Because we have the freedom that the world presents, and then we have the freedom of God. The USA Today, a big uh, newspaper in America, went out onto the streets of Philadelphia. And they started interviewing people to try and understand what was their concept of freedom. And we're just going to watch this a short video as they kind of give their response. What does freedom mean to me? Um, freedom. Freedom. Freedom to me is, it means liberty, like liberty and means that you can do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to express whatever you want to express. The ability to speak my mind. Be able to speak when you want to speak. And, you know, dress the way you want to dress, act the way you want to act without being judged. To go anywhere, see anything. You can go here in Philadelphia, you can go travel, do, do stuff, really. Not getting stuck behind a desk. Freedom is a part of being independent also. And, you know, if you have that sense of independence, then you're free in, in many different ways. Freedom means to be able to do what you wish, when you wish to do it, as long as it's within the limits of law and ethics and morality. Without any limitations or restrictions. Okay, freedom has to stop at some point where you're encroaching on somebody else's. That doesn't harm, disable, or put an end to anyone else. Your freedom is creativity, you know? That, that's what it is to me, to, to, to create, to, to do something. You know, I'm not saying one thing one way or another, but if I some, someday meet the woman of my dreams, I'd like to be able to marry her. Freedom to decide who and what you want to be and where. I guess that's what civilization is about, where you should be free to a certain extent until 
you're taking somebody else's freedom away from you. And not being bogged down by the whole, you have to do this, you have to do that, you know? Not having, I mean, having, having enough time to enjoy being alive. You know, so that's, I think that's real freedom. I think what's really interesting about that video is while certainly some of those qualities are quite um, admirable, so many of them focus on the self. They focus on individual liberty. They focus on what is right for me today, regardless of how it may impact other people. The freedom that the world is so often trying to give is a freedom where we can say, I can be able to do what I like, whenever I like, however I like, with whomever I like, regardless of the consequences. And I think the problem is, when we have this concept of freedom in Christ, even if we're trying hard not to, we fall into that trap of thinking similarly. We, feel, we fall into the trap of going, well, I'm now free in Christ, therefore, I can do what I want. Therefore, I can be independent. Yet so often that independence leads not just to independence from human control, but independence from God. And so I believe that the freedom that Christ is referring to is so different. It's not a freedom from God or a freedom from rules, but a freedom from the things that truly ensnare our soul. It's freedom from death. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from fear. It's freedom from having to earn our salvation. These are just a few examples. There are so many more found out in the scripture. But fundamentally, what do they all have in common? There are freedom for us to be the person that God has created us to be. There are freedom for us to step into the plan and the identity that God has for us. There are freedom for us to truly be alive. This is what true freedom is. And so what the world is trying to do is it's trying to parody that. It's trying to sell you a watered-down, scaled-down version by saying, no, it's just freedom to go over here, or it's freedom to dress, or it's freedom to say. And so we can so often sell ourselves out and find ourselves in bondage in that yoke of slavery, yet believing that we are free. How many of us are in a golden gilded cage? We may see the bars, but it's comfortable. It's luxurious, so we don't ever choose to leave. And we see Jesus declaring this. You know, part of Jesus' mission, his mandate was to bring that freedom. In Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 14, we, we read this wonderful account of where he's going back into Nazareth, and he's going to the synagogue to, preach, uh, to teach one day. And he's passed the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens up and he reads this. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this would have been a text that many of his hearers would have known. They would have known the prophet Isaiah proclaiming this about this future Messiah. Uh, Messiah. But then he makes this amazing statement. It says, verse 20, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.
Jesus was declaring, he was claiming the promise, the proclamation that Isaiah was making, that in that coming of the Messiah, freedom would come with him, that prisoners would be set free, that, blind, that sight would be restored to the blind, that oppression would be broken off. And in that moment and in that day, it had started. And we know the story that if the ultimate climax, the ultimate example of that ended on the cross. When that freedom from death, that freedom from sin, that freedom from fear, that freedom from having to earn our salvation was finally won for us. It took place on the cross and the consequences of that ripple throughout time. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has on offer us today. So when he, Paul then in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, then we can know that there is truth in this, that we know that there is power in this, that we know there is something that we can hold on in this. But Paul continues that verse by saying, Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think so many of us find ourselves trapped in that bondage of the world. We have replaced the freedom with that yoke of slavery. One of the things I love about Paul is that he really knew his readers. In several of his letters, you see that he, he gets into this kind of repetitive mode where he'll say the same thing several times. And it's like, okay, I'm saying this once, are you listening? Mm, maybe. Okay, I'm saying it again. Are you listening? Mm, maybe. Are you saying, I'm saying it again. Okay, I've now finally got it. I mean, every single week, to some extent, we hear the good news. We hear the gospel message. But how many times do we allow it to actually transform our heart, to penetrate our spirit, to renew our mind? And so Paul, knowing his readers, knowing that, yes, they had received that freedom in Christ, but that human nature so quickly returns to slavery, declares that you need to stand firm. This isn't passive. This is active. We need to actively fight to be in our freedom. Not because um, we can add anything or we can do anything, but we so often ourselves are the ones who take those steps back into slavery. We are the ones ourselves who reburden ourselves with the things that Christ has broken off. And so he challenges us to stand firm. Are you standing firm this morning? Are you standing in the place of freedom that Christ has carved out for you? This is the problem that the church in Galatia had, is they had rejected that. They had gone back into their own ways. Picking up verse 2. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who have tried to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The heresy that the church in Galatia had bought into was this idea that they needed to add to their salvation. That it was faith plus works that put them in God's good books. 
you see this group, the Judaizers, had come in, and they were coming from the old Jewish, old covenant context. And while they saw the freedom and the salvation that Christ was offering, they still couldn't shake off their past behaviors, their past rituals. And so they were going up to this church in Galatia and saying, that's all well and good that you've accepted Christ, but what you actually need to do is to be circumcised. Now, just think about this for a moment. We're not talking about small babies. We're talking about grown men. You know, no anesthetic, no painkillers. You know, this wasn't just painful. This was dangerous. And yet they were saying this was necessary to add to your salvation, that you needed to follow the food laws, that you needed to follow the religious festivals. Now, these in themselves are good things. Circumcision was something that God gave as a sign of the covenant to mark Israel out as being a separate people. The food laws were for their own health, their own benefit. The religious festivals were designed to remind Israel about who God was and what he had done. But all of them were designed as acts of love. All of them were designed to show a part of who God was. They were never meant to be the means of salvation. By doing A plus B, you weren't ever meant to get to C. And so this is what this group had done. They had taken these things and they had made them law. They had made them regulation. And so they were trying to instruct this church in Galatia by saying, you need to do this. And Paul was having none of it. I mean, if you look at the language of Paul, like, he's mad. He's not just mad, he's that. When I was reading this, the thing that kept going through to my mind, and maybe it's just because of a particularly naughty child, was, you know when like you'd done something really wrong, and your mom and your dad came in, and, and they weren't even upset, but they just looked to you and they said, I'm disappointed. And then it just cut you. Like, it just cut, like, still to this day, I think if my mom or my dad said that, like, as a grown man, I'd be on the floor weeping. I'm like, oh, the dagger to my heart. And this is what Paul is. He's, he, yes, he's mad. Yes, he's angry. But he's disappointed because they've perverted the gospel. They've sold out what they had. And so in doing this, they had managed to strip away the very essence of the gospel, God's grace, the fact that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. No matter if we lived the best life, followed every single rule, we still will be so far short of the standard that God has enacted that we would never, ever be able to reach it. And so that is the good news. The good news is that we don't need to strive. The good news is that we don't need to try and attain something that we never would be able to because Christ has already done that. And so by adding all these other things to the gospel, they were nullifying the cross. They were destroying grace. I mean, we read it. Uh, sorry. And Paul, he really... He's brutal in his language. I mean, this is a few of examples. I am astonished. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I would like to learn just one thing from you. When I, um, I did uh, uh, my undergraduate degree in theology, and one of, uh, we used to have these tutorial um, sessions, and one of my ongoing arguments was that I believe there's sarcasm in the Bible, and people are like, no, 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 no. And I think these, are, Paul here has some great examples of this. 
Um, I would like to learn just one, from, well, one thing from you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, where then is your blessing of me now? How have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be no value to you at all. This is my favorite one. As for those agitators, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, he's really not happy with this group. And then at the end, and this, yeah, it's great, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Uh, Paul would have had a scribe who was dictating the letter. You can imagine he's dictating the letter, and then he's getting so fed up, he almost kind of grabs the pen, and he's just writing, don't be dumb. I mean, that's basically what he's saying at them. Just look. I'm so frustrated in what you have brought into. This was such a serious matter for Paul. And so the church, by listening to these full teachers, they were on the verge of making the work of the cross null and void. They were rejecting what Christ had done. And that always is going to be serious. We see this in his summary of the argument in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, when he's talking about uh, the law and about why we shouldn't be uh, under the law. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Four times he's quoting the Old Testament to make his argument that if we submit ourselves to the law, if we start following these rituals, if we start adding things to our salvation, then we will be judged and we will be condemned by the law. Yet if we submit ourselves to the grace of God, then we experience the freedom and the blessing that only can come from him. And so I think it's very easy for us to dismiss these foolish Galatians. You know, Rob isn't getting up every week and saying, so by the way, who's up for circumcision? You know, and go, oh, that's nothing to do with us. But yet, how many of us end up creating our own legalism, our own set of laws, our own things that end up trapping us? When Hannah and me were dating, we, we used to have this ongoing joke about uh, what we called holy points. And the idea of holy points was that if you did certain religious things, so uh, maybe going to church, you would acquire a certain number of holy points. So going to church was four points, uh, preaching was 10 points, Trying to deal with Sunday school was like 22 points. And so the various things that you did, you would acquire some points. So when we would meet up each week, we would kind of have this joke of how many holy points have you acquired this week? And Hannah, you know, I would always have 12, and Hannah would always have some, you know, 728, some ridiculous number. But even though we were joking, it started to reveal that actually there's something in our heart that means we get trapped into that way of thinking. 
How many of you, if you're really honest, and obviously because Ryan and Bert is here, I won't ask you to put your hand up. How many of you have ever kind of thought, I've been to church for the last five Fridays in a row. I'm pretty sure I've earned this one off. Or I've been to life group. Or I've been to prayer meeting. That's an even better one. I've done the last six prayer meetings. They won't mind if I skip this month. We so easily get into that way of thinking of going, it's okay, I've already done a certain amount, God won't mind. But in that, we're starting to equate what we do connected then to our salvation, starting to connect it into our relationship with God. And what Christ is trying to do is he's trying to break that off us. He's trying to say no, because when you do that, you reject the cross. You alienate Christ. Those are the words that Paul says. You fall from grace. You know, this isn't kind of placid, gentle language here. Paul is serious. When we start constructing our own law, then we return to slavery. We return to bondage. Because the problem is, while it may be playful while we're doing good things, if we find ourselves and our life and our path is going down a bad track, but suddenly we go, well, I have this sin in my life, therefore I can't come to God. Or I'm having this problem in my marriage, or I'm struggling with my children, therefore I can't seek help from the elders. We start to alienate ourselves, stepping away further and further from God, all because we've concocted this kind of, this scales, this balance of good and evil. And as long as good is winning, then we're fine and we can show our face. But as soon as the darkness starts to creep in, then suddenly we reject, we push away. And if anything, that is the time even more that we need to be among our Christian family, our brothers and sisters, our parents in Christ. That's when we need to reach out to people and say, I can't stand in this moment. I need you to help carry me. Because we can't add anything our faith. We can't add anything to our salvation, but Christ is all-sufficient. So what's the solution then? What's the answer to this problem? What's the way to stop this way of thinking? Well, Paul shares it in verses 5 and 6. He says, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So that's the solution then. That's the thing that the Galatians weren't getting, that fundamentally the solution is faith and God's Holy Spirit. They're two sides of the same coin. When we have faith in God, when we trust upon his promises, upon his word, and then his spirit comes and meets us. In that moment, we stand in that place of freedom. And whatever the lies, whatever the bondage, whatever the slavery we may find ourselves in is broken off. Paul picks this up in... um, Uh, Verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for what we hope. For through the Spirit. Fundamentally, it only comes with total dependence on God. 
through God's Spirit, it's the righteousness of Christ that is transferred onto us. And so when God sees us, He's not seeing our sin, He's not seeing our, our failures and our weaknesses and our fears, but He's seeing the strength and the righteousness of Christ. Paul sums this up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. He said, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? It really is that simple. The way that we stand in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us is by believing in God, by trusting and resting in His Spirit, by saying that I will never be enough, but you are. You are for that situation. To look at it in a slightly more practical way, John Piper sums it up with what he calls apt. It's not the most catchy of anachronisms, but he says, and these are the things that kind of help us stay in this freedom. So the first one, acknowledge that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Pray that Christ would produce righteousness in me through the Spirit. Trust in God's words and promises. Act in obedience. And thank God for his provision and goodness. So whenever we find ourselves in that situation of becoming religious, of becoming legalistic, of trying to add things to our faith, trying to add things to our salvation, remember these steps. Because while they may seem mechanical, as we go through them, they're basically an invitation that says, God, I need your spirit. God, I need you to meet me in this moment. So today, where do you find yourself? When you look over your life, do you see your life as marked by freedom or bondage? For some of us today, we may never really truly grasp what this freedom means for us. That freedom from death, that freedom from sin, that freedom from fear, that freedom from having to earn our salvation. And if that is you, then this is good news because Christ is standing ready and waiting to offer you that freedom. All it takes is for you to simply say, yes, I can't do it by myself, but I trust in you. Some of us today may be, even though we've accepted Christ in our life, we've got caught up in other sin, in other bondage, and we've, we've stepped away, and we need to hear that message again, that message of freedom, that, that, that message of deliverance. But finally, and I think maybe the majority of us, we're in a place like those foolish Galatians. We've handed back the freedom that Christ give, given us, and we've picked up a yoke of slavery. We have tried to live our life by the flesh. We've tried to do all the right things. We go to life group. We go to prayer meeting. We go on a Friday, we serve on a crew, we do all these things, but we're tired and we're weary because we're doing them because we've created our own law. We're not doing them as an act of love. 
We're not doing them because God's Spirit is working in our lives. Because for wherever God's Spirit is, there will be life. But these things can so quickly turn into death. And so today, God is offering you that rest. He is offering you that freedom. As he proclaims in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the promise that God is offering us today. To take off that yoke of slavery. To give us his yoke that is easy and light. Amen.